You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. (laughs) Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie. Today, we're welcoming Paul Haddad to discuss his book, Freewaytopia, How Freeways Shop Shaped Los Angeles. Uh, and he is joined by Steve Dvorkin. Before I introduce them, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering via our website, skylightbooks.com. And now on to the show. Paul Haddad is the author of Freewaytopia, How Freeways Shaped Los Angeles. From the Arroyo Seco Parkway, which began construction during the Great Depression, to the Century Freeway, completed in 1993, Paul Haddad provides an entertaining and thought-provoking history of the 527 miles of roadways that comprise the LA Metro Freeway system, which in turn offers insight into the evolution of Los Angeles. Paul is also the author of 10,000 Steps a Day in LA, 57 Walking Adventures, which was a Los Angeles Times bestseller and a local interest mainstay at Skylight Books. Steve Dvorkin has been with the California Department of Transportation for almost 30 years. As the department's TV and media specialist, he has documented several major freeway projects in Los Angeles and Ventura counties. Steve inherited a vast library of visual materials dating back to the 1930s and has become the keeper of the history of Caltrans. He was a valuable resource for connecting Paul to various parties who informed his research for Freeway Topia. Welcome, Paul and Steve. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you very much. You just gave me my elevator speech that I've never been able to do at work what I do for a living. (laughs) Um, And I think we'll start off today's episode with a reading from Paul. Great. Well, What I discovered growing up in Los Angeles, um, obsessed with freeways and feeling that there was a need to write about freeways as a reflection of the history of Los Angeles was there'd never really been a deep dive about how freeways informed our city and vice versa. So what I came to realize as I was researching this book was each freeway around LA, and in, in my book, I focus on 12 of them. They're kind of the the 12 primary freeways within the city of Los Angeles. Some of them exceed our city limits, like the San Diego Freeway. Um, But each each of these major freeways gets their own chapter in the book because each freeway kind of has built up its own personality. And you probably notice that as you're driving a particular freeway, you might feel happier on some, like the Marina Freeway or the Glendale Freeway, which are kind of devoid of traffic and are more like straight shoots through, straight shots without... uh, a lot of traffic, maybe some nicer landscaping and that sort of thing. And, um, and then other freeways are just very dystopian and congested and just really get your ire up as you're driving. So each personality is kind of, each freeway has taken on a personality of its own. And that creates a kind of emotional validation loop between the motorist and the motorway. And so with that in mind, each of these chapters starts with uh, a, just a few paragraphs where I kind of define the particular personality of a particular freeway. And so I will read from the beginning of the San Diego freeway chapter, 
And uh, this then, you know, after this passage, then we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the particular freeway. So I'll read the introduction to the San Diego freeway. Go big or go home. It's a bit of a gaudy phrase, implying that nothing short of an all-out assault will do when sometimes subtlety is in order. But is there a more apt way to describe the San Diego freeway? The 405 Reign Supreme is the busiest freeway in the world. It's the longest freeway in Southern California, and it was the costliest to build for its time. It is inspired a bonanza of nicknames, all of them epic sounding. Construction through Sepulveda Pass was known as the Big Cut. Its junction with the five is called the Orange Crush. It's the only freeway to inspire cinematic labels, Carmageddon, Carmageddon 2, Jamzilla. And don't forget the small screen. The 405 ruled there too, co-starring with OJ Simpson and his white Ford Bronco during the live slow speed chase of 1994, an event witnessed by almost 40% of the country. The freeway even dominates national social media. Who can forget the terrifying viral video posted by motorists driving through a mountainous tunnel of flames during the Skirball fire of 2017? And because it invokes so many over-the-top qualities that we associate with Los Angeles, the 405 is the defining LA freeway, right down to residents' provincial belief that everything revolves around Los Angeles, including a freeway that isn't even named after it. The San Diego freeway's southern extremity is, of course, San Diego. And from there, it cruises northward through Orange County as I-5, switching over to the 405 at the El Toro Y. The 405 rejoins the 5 in San Fernando to complete its 157-mile journey. The focus of this chapter is on the 48.5 miles that reside in Los Angeles County. As the most traffic stretch of roadway in the Southland, it is also the most loathed. Billionaire commuter Elon Musk hated its perpetual gridlock so much, he thought he could bore his way underneath it. He got a mile, a mile in before giving up, or should we say giving in, because really that's what we've, that's what 400,000 Angelinos do on a daily basis. The 405 is more than just a bad habit. It's the abusive lover you just can't quit. Every time you vow never again, you come back for more. And like any dysfunctional relationship, you always hate yourself in the morning. Come to think of it in the afternoon and evening too. So since LA drivers can't 12-step their way out of it, it's high time we explore the powerful hold on Angelino psyches that is the San Diego freeway. I am just... Uh fascinated by your verb this is steve and your verbiage and your your hold on to the psychological effect of freeways and i have to make a little dirty secret i'm going to read your book sometime you said it to me but i'm sorry i haven't read it yet but that based on that prose you really uh put the psyche of uh, uh the, the public here because it, it is a love-hate uh relationship and it, truly a love-hate and a stockholm syndrome thing you know you, you can't live with it you can't live without it and uh your mind is is sometimes just goes in i i can find myself driving and going without even thinking now the car just goes so that's yeah. very that was very good poetry i would say almost oh, poetic thank, thank you steve that's <laughs> well, about, from you. About something so prosaic as the freeway i mean we drive it all the time and i'm very familiar with it but it does have that aspect to it that it is 
of the fabric of our lives, especially in Los Angeles, because we, as you know, we always, there's that funny card, I'll go to the 605 to the 710 for you. Yeah, you know, this is, it's, it's the, it's the matrix of our, of our life. Yeah. And I think, and Hallie, you probably have found this out yourself too. They're, they're kind of the roadways we love to hate. Uh, and I think we resent freeways because, um, we rely on them so much. So it's almost like a kid who has to rely on his parents, but the kid wants to be independent and we want to be independent from freeways, but we rely on them to get around LA. And so we resent that. Definitely. Um, but they also bring kind of great comfort too. you know, when you get on the 405, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm on my way somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Progress, Um, efficiency, uh, destination ahead. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask a question. I was, I would love to um, hear a little bit about kind of the origins of the freeway and why and when and how they kind of came to be what they are. Absolutely. And Steve, jump in at any time if you want to correct me or add anything, since you're definitely the expert as a Caltrans employee. But, you know, there, there was a need by 1920, uh, the United States population reached an urban majority for the first time in its history. And so that's, that's a pivotal year because also in the 20s, automobile ownership became a lot more affordable for people. And so traffic jams started becoming pretty commonplace, especially in downtown Los Angeles. And um, agencies like the AAA and, and even LA officials in the state of California uh, started looking for ways to improve roadways so that there wasn't so much traffic. And of course, this was happening back east as well um, with uh, the um, Robert Moses Parkways in the New York area and in New England. And um, so what happened was before it became a national um, uh, program, the interstates of the 1950s that eventually you know, was signed by uh, President Dwight Eisenhower, on a local level, we were already looking at high-speed motorways, motorways and so um, it was all kind of like a, a way to alleviate traffic. And also the Arroyo Seco Parkway, which you mentioned, Hallie, is the first freeway, that coincided with this city beautiful movement that we felt that citizens should be able to take pride in their civic um, infrastructure. And so that's why the uh, Arroyo Seco Parkway, and eventually called for a while the Pasadena Freeway, is the most scenic freeway because it was designed as sort of a country road that you could drive fast on between two urban um, areas at Pasadena and Los Angeles. So that kind of like then evolved into the uh, Collier Burns Act of the 1940s. And that was a California um, passed, that was legislation passed in California that really opened the door for even more freeways in the state. And then, as I said earlier, by the 50s, that's when you had a federal mandated $25 billion program with 41,000 miles of interstate plan. It was the largest public works program in the history of our nation, in fact, the world. And that's when you really saw freeways kick into gear. And the government even planned 90% reimbursal for any states that would build interstates. So it was almost like an incentive to build even more. And that, so that's kind of like those, those are the different stages is how we got here. Los Angeles, uh, in my, in my uh, work, uh, I did a I did a uh, thing I did a presentation on the Arroyo Seco, and in that uh, work I found out that we owe our roads to bicycle bicyclists, 
because in the turn of the century, there was the bicycle phrase of phrase. And out of that came the good roads movement, which wanted to turn the bad streets and uh, dirt roads, muddy roads into over uh, paved streets. And that really was the genesis, the beginning, the not the genesis. Well, that was the beginning of taking our roads seriously. And, and we, we had a, uh, before the Arroyo Seco, we had a elevated wooden bikeway from downtown Los Angeles to Pasadena because of the bike. And that always, that surprised me. Uh, so the want for good roads doesn't really predate, but it came from a, 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 the bicycle. And from that uh, LA, it's always been, in my opinion, the hotspot of, of transportation. And as, as Paul said, uh, LA County and the highways envisioned these, what became these freeways uh, through the twenties and then California Division of Highways, uh, which goes back to 1895, sort of combined together to, to uh, make this happen. But LA really was, I don't get my foot in my, my historical mouth, but we really pushed uh, boulevards and connections and throughways. Um, and, and what I wanted, I would like to do a book on the the forgotten freeway, the freeway that nobody remembers is the Ramona freeway, which predates by 1935, at least a portion of it to be upgraded, uh, which has been totally buried by the tin and, and, and there, but it, it remains and it's, 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 it's interesting. I, I just wanted to go back. I, what really struck me was your favorite and your least favorite freeways. I love the 210 through the Verdugos. I love uh, driving that because you're in the middle of the country, it seems the mountains and there's no city around you. And I'll have to say, in my opinion, the 710 is my least favorite freeway. So, but people do have favorite freeways. I, yeah. I, I feel that way. Um, Paul, why, or I guess for a question for both of you is, um, what was the research process like for this book? How did you go about it and and why did you decide to write it now? Well, I decided to write it because freeways are such an ingrained part of the Los Angeles landscape. I was shocked that there was never really a comprehensive book about them. Freeways have been written about by people like Mike Davis, books you know like City of Courts and, and more academic um, approaches to freeways, but one that was really breaking down freeways in layman's terms that is both an appreciation and also critical look at them um, with a lot of pictures and stuff that really had not existed. Um, so I, I felt there was a void in the marketplace. I write about Los Angeles in general. I'm always interested in what makes it tick. And how do we get here? That's a big theme of all, all my written work. What's the story that brought us to where we are today? And um, as far as the research, I, I did a lot of research of old newspapers to really have a firsthand account of what, what the process was like. The freeways were very much discussed, especially in the mid-century. Uh, it was given front page treatment on the LA Times many times. The Times was a big proponent of freeways because they were very pro-business. It was a, a largely Republican newspaper. 
So they are all about progress and, and building out LA, especially after World War II. And there was no shortage of information that I could get from digging up old newspapers, thousands of them is, I, I researched. And then I also did outreach uh, with Caltrans, um, Steve among them, and also with some other people who could speak to the, you know, later in, in the later in the book, I talk about the inequities created by freeways. And I talked to a black pastor who has written about uh, the displacement of uh, blacks and Hispanics from freeways. Uh, his it, one quote that sticks with me from him, his name was Pastor Q uh, Jean Marie. He talks about how freeways are the uh, bloodlines that they're the arteries that carry the blood of segregation through America. And I thought that was very um, a phrase that stuck out with me. So I wanted to get a 360 degree view. And that was newspapers, Caltrans, activists. You know, I wanted everyone to kind of have their say. One thing I liked about researching through newspapers was it definitely dug up some, some voices that were lost to history. And uh, so some of those people get a lot of um, a lot of play in the book as well. People who were moved out of the way for freeways who, um, you know, tr tracking their sagas and um, women engineers and, and uh, this one woman who refused to move from her porch for about three months when the Golden State Freeway went through and she had a shotgun and is going to shoot at anyone, any rights away agents who tried to move her. I told her story for a little bit. So there was all sorts of interesting things that came to the surface that I didn't really know about. And uh, yeah. For me, I, I guess uh, I've just, it's personal. Uh, I, uh, I've grown up with the freeways. In, in fact, uh, not in fact, my dad would wake me up in the mornings when I was a kid and say, hey, they just opened a new freeway. Let's go drive it. And it was very exciting. And it was very new. Uh, and it was, it was part of that history of uh, of, of growing up. Now I have experienced uh, before Caltrans, I, I, our house was in Santa Monica and uh, in some, uh, some of the research, uh, I saw that the Santa Monica freeway was, was planned uh, years ago. And, uh, and I feel directly affected by the freeways because uh, the, when, uh, when I was growing up, in, 19, in the 60s, uh, they started building the 10 freeway uh, through Santa Monica to connect with downtown LA. And it, it disrupted my life. Uh, it took away friends and, uh, and uh, uh, the, the, it, it cut right through the center fabric of our, our neighborhood. And I turned to my dad later when I was with Caltrans and said, dad, when did you know the freeway was coming through. He said, well, uh, when, the bulldo when the bulldozers showed up, uh, there was no, uh, and in his, his uh, world, they, they gave no notice. And in the old, in the old days, uh, the, the division of highways felt, uh, you know, we will beautify that place by putting a road through there. I don't know if that's our quote or, or Moses's quote uh, from New York, but we, we, this is progress. It's good for you. And over in the in the years that I've been with Caltrans, that attitude has been diminished to the point of uh, I don't know if it's L.A. itself, but we came up and invented, or at least spearheaded, the environmental movement and these reasons we do an environmental environmental impact studies to mitigate 
the problems of the Fourier waves. Uh, the excuse uh, for what, where, why we put free waves through poor neighborhoods is because poor neighborhoods are cheaper to buy up than expensive neighborhoods. And that was the de facto point, but we never got into the idea of redlining and other, other such things. Uh, you know, we're engineers, we, this is, we're cost effective. Uh, my dad always rude uh, the fact that why did they just put the freeway down Olympic Boulevard that had all that industrial property? They didn't have to put it through the neighborhood. Again, this, it, the freeways affect our lives in many ways. And I, I can answer that, uh, your dad's question, why not just down Olympic Boulevard? In some ways, um, it, it, it seems that um, there was a pattern as they built these freeways, as you said, to route them through poorer neighborhoods where the land acquisition would be cheaper. And you had people who were business owners through uh, major corridors, whether it was Olympic or Hollywood Boulevard, for example. At one point, the 101 was maybe going to go through there to avoid Whitley Heights. And it was decided, you know, the, the businesses are, um, there's a lot of lobbyists, you know, the pro-business faction. You can't disrupt these business districts. And so we're going to keep those intact and we'll just ram through, you know, neighborhoods where we'll get maybe less pushback or people who have less uh, sway with City Hall. And so it's the more um, expedient way to go often. But I can't live without the 10. I mean, that, I, I look at it that side. I mean, yeah. I drive it all the time, but <laughs> it is part of our, uh, my history. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade, my uh, elementary school, 1966, was right above that portion of the 10. And I was hanging on the fence looking at the opening of that part of the freeway and thought, how come I'm not down there, you know? It, it, it's been part of my life. It's, it, it is part of my life. Um, because you both know so much about three ways, maybe in kind of different ways, but what, um, how do you predict the future of the freeway? How are they, how do you think they'll change? Um, what is like Caltrans worried about? Uh, yeah, where, where are freeways going? Well, let me let me let me jump in there first because this mm -hmm. is a I, I can talk from an emotional stance, not a uh, not a a. Uh, when I joined Caltrans thirty about thirty years ago, they were in uh, the, the Caltrans of the building the freeways and still and uh, they had suffered through the the seventies and the cuts and the funding, but their main push was to do freeways and. Over these years, uh, financially, politically, uh, we have now transformed into a, what we call a multimodal transportation industry and in that we will keep the infrastructure we have, but there's a push and a need to integrate city streets, biking, walking, pedestrians and freeways and transit to be an, a, a multifaceted and not just based on cars. So in my opinion, the days are gone of any, any new urban freeway. Though it, it surprised me, I went online and there are freeways on the planning books for other regions. There are new, new interstates planned. And I was very surprised to hear that. But the, the era of new, uh, freeways in LA is, is over. Uh, 
unless there is a big change in what we drive, how we drive, and how we get there. Um, the uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be at the opening of the uh, 105 and the 210, which uh, I, I, uh, I was amazed that we still had a, those freeways to work on. And, but we're continually improving or trying to keep up with, with progress, with maintaining the freeways, finding ways to, to keep them operational and, and flowing. And uh, so it's, an, it's, a, it's a battle because the time frame for building anything is 20, 20 years and in that time traffic changes a lot. And the big change will have to be yeah, that we diminish the amount of cars or uh, opt with more transit. It's, it's always been that battle for, for 50, for almost 50 years now. Now, with the, for the expert, <laughs> what do you think? No, that, that's great. I mean, that's, um, as you, I concur, that seems to be the approach locally, at least, is just maintain existing freeways and find ways to incorporate more platforms for uh, getting people around, whether it's biking, transit, you know, light rail, uh, that sort of thing. And then um, on a national level, Hal, you probably noticed, you know, recently, uh, certainly in the last year, the Biden administration has talked about ways to uh, improve neighborhoods that were affected by infrastructure. And even Caltrans has put out a statement last year saying there was an inordinate uh, a, a number of um, minority communities that were affected by freeway building. And so the federal government has acknowledged that as well. And there have been a lot of statements from Pete Buttigieg, uh, the, the transportation secretary, and from Biden himself about, you know, we're going to try to earmark $15 billion in our infrastructure program and, and try to repair uh, some of the neighborhoods affected by freeways. And in some cases, they're talking about tearing down freeways, decommissioning freeways. I think that'd be difficult in Los Angeles because we rely on them so much. <laughs> um, but there's ways you know, to repair communities that I'm always intrigued by the idea of cap parks. And Steve, I'm sure you know about those. There's one over the 210, Steve's favorite freeway, um, in La Cunada, Flint Ridge. There's a, yeah. a, a Greenbelt right over kind of like where La Cunada or Angeles Forest, Angeles Crest Highway goes over the freeway right around there, uh, right off Foothill Boulevard. And it's a park that just sits over the freeway that has a nice grassy field and a gazebo for concerts and farmers markets. And there's a playground. And if you can imagine something like that over the Hollywood freeway, it has to be over freeways that are trenched, right? That are submerged below grade. And then you could kind of span a park from, let's say, Santa Monica Boulevard over the freeway up to Sunset. And uh, that way you kind of connect Hollywood, which is a very park poor area, and you can knit together some of these communities that were pushed apart by freeways. And so that's an intriguing concept that that way you preserve freeways, but also strengthen the neighborhoods or patch them back together. That'd be really cool. That that goes back to the Park 101 concept that we uh, we supported uh, covering uh, the downtown Los Angeles Harbor Freeway right. trench. The downtown uh, slots, they call it. Um, what is one thing that you wish people knew about freeways that they don't know? Something maybe surprising or... 
I got to jump in here. I got it just hit me. People are always talking about bad drivers and and how they make freeways better. It's not your own freeway. It's a team. Get on there and know that you're going to work with the other people. Let them in. Let them pass. Work together. It's not a. It's not just you. There, you know. I watch all the time people just cutting each other off, being angry, driving aggressively. If we all drove as if we uh, were together, let them in, let them go. Slow down to one or two miles an hour. It's, it's, it's not your only freeway. There's other people. That's, that's my big, big feeling. Now more than ever, right? There's so much yeah. um, road rage and people driving over the speed limit right now. There's so much pent up aggression and you know anxiety from the shutdown, the COVID. Um, but I also... I would point to the misconception. Many people don't drive in freeways because they feel, oh my God, no way, it's unsafe, it's too scary. Um, but freeways, as you know, Steve, are safer than surface streets. Statistically, when you get the number of cars going through there, the volume of cars, I mean, the East LA interchange alone has over, um, has like 500,000 cars going through on a daily basis. Not a whole lot of accidents there. But if you look at 500,000 cars going, you know, at any given time down, I don't know, Sunset Boulevard and Western or something, or any major boulevards, there are a lot of accidents because you have cross traffic, people making left turns, people merging in and out of uh, parking spots and things like that. And freeways statistically are a lot safer than surface streets. So um, the next time someone's worried about taking freeway somewhere, just they can remind themselves that even with the crazy drivers, it's still a safer place to be. What we're uh, ingrained is uh, stay out of the, we, we number the lanes from the furthest to the center, one, two, three, and four. And if you want to drive the freeways, use the center two lanes, one, two, and three. One is for the guys, people who want to drive too fast, and four is got people coming on and off. So if you're in one and two, you're 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 very safe, and you're exactly right. It's 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 a restricted flow freeway. There's no left turns, and yes, it is it is safer. It is safer, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and it <laughs> everybody's an expert. <laughs> I know how to drive those freeways. Yeah, and everyone wants it as their own private roadway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, the, oh, it, it was interesting. Uh, last it was it last March or the March before when the COVID first hit? Yeah. Uh, we had the idea to drive uh, the freeways because th there was no traffic, and we we recorded instances that have probably not been seen since the freeways open of them being open and less cars, we documented it with driving around in my van and using a drone. And the most, one of the most interesting aspects was we went to LAX and there was nobody there. We drove the upper and lower decks within a minute. So it, it wow. was an experiment in uh, what, of what would be like without traffic. And uh, except for the, the terribleness of the shutdown, it was, we had that experience in 1984 when, uh, the freeways were worked better because they were more managed with time and trips than than traffic. And uh, so the freeways can be more efficient if we use them more efficiently. Uh, but that takes something more than just 
planning on the single part. I've been through many variations of uh, uh, whatever the commuter computer and stuff like that. We, you know, now with the interconnectivity of the cell phone, this is what really will make a difference: is that we could use the phones and uh, with the traffic data we have, you could type in and say, "What's what's my best route? What's the fastest route?" and now, I don't go anywhere anymore without turning on my GPS. I, I find it not only uh, helpful because I can forget where I'm going, but if you're stuck in a traffic jam, that nice voice says, you are still on the best route. Keep going. And it, 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 and it tells me when I'm going to get there. It takes a lot of stress. If I have a 10 o'clock meeting and I know I'm going to get there 9.58, I don't, I don't get so stressed. It's, it's, I, the cell phones and the GPS, is, I think it's been a great boon and we could use it more to, to relax on the freeways because it tells us what's going on. That's always been the, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting here. That's always been the point of Caltrans with traffic management is getting the information of traffic out to the people so we can plan our trips and, and go around things. And I think this is the golden age of, of transportation planning. Um. I want to ask briefly too. You mentioned the um, the intersection. Was trying not to use that word of um, freeways and race and um, how cities are divided up. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about how the freeways in Los Angeles have uniquely shaped the city. Um, how are they different from other cities? What what have been the kind of effects of that? Yeah. yeah, well, I think there is a similarity with the way freeways are laid out in Los Angeles with other cities, <clears throat> other cities like Houston or Baltimore, Detroit, et cetera, urban centers. <clears throat> to tell the story of like how freeways are laid out in LA, you have to look at where they were not built, not just where they were built, but where they were not. So if you look at a map of Los Angeles, you can see sort of this constellation of freeways centered around downtown east los angeles you know that's where the majority of them are and that makes sense because that's where los angeles was founded was in where alvera street is now los angeles plaza downtown that's the city core so of course like spokes from a tire it the freeways are going to spoke outward from the center and that's what we have um but we also had a lot of opportunities to create freeways in west los angeles and again, if you look at a map, it's pretty sparse. And that's one reason there is so much traffic on the 405. There's not a lot of north-south freeways through wealthier areas of the Santa Monica Mountains. So at one point on the books in the late 50s, there was an idea of doing freeways through Malibu Canyon, through Laurel Canyon, through uh, you know the Sepulveda Pass, which we eventually got with the 405, a freeway along uh, Mohong. And, or an expressway. So there, there was at one point in time, a plan to create such a system in LA where no one motorist would be more than four minutes from a freeway. That was the ideal. And then reality kicked in where a lot of, again, uh, more affluent homeowners in Bel Air, West Hollywood, West LA, et cetera, Beverly Hills, they said no to the Beverly Hills Freeway along Santa Monica Boulevard or along Sunset or whatever route that Caltrans, now called Caltrans, planned. And um, so you have to look at that in the whole equation. Then where we did build a lot of freeways in the Eastern Los Angeles area, Lincoln Heights, Boyle Heights, et cetera, 
about 17% of the landscape is covered by freeways versus maybe two or 3% in the rest of LA. And so when you look at it that way, then you realize that freeways were built in areas where there was a, a lower income uh, neighborhoods because it was cheaper to build there. And often it was cheaper because the land was deemed blighted or slum ridden. And that lowered the property values and made it easier for right away agents to build there because there'd be less pushback. So uh, that that's ultimately why you had more displaced people of color um, when freeways went in, because that's primarily where they were built, given the fact they didn't have as much of a voice with politicians. That's really, if you really want to break it down, but also growth, you know, there was more growth in the, you know, Eastern part of LA. So it made sense that freeways were going to be built there as well. I, uh, Looking back, if you if you do a rough overlay of uh, the PE transportation, the Pacific Electric, if you're familiar with the interurban time, uh, LA had an extensive interurban uh, system. And people and, uh, know them as the red car trolley. The red cars, example. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I won't go into the, the myths and the facts, but if you overlay the freeways, they followed the major routes of the PE. And one of the reasons the freeway went through my neighborhood is that the Santa Monica airline, a, a track that's been there since 19, 1875, went through my neighborhood. It was, and the freeway followed that very closely. If you take the 10, you follow that train line all the way and then down exposition. And we're living at a time that they've rebuilt the airline. It's now the Metro, what it's called the Green Line or they changed their numbers, but, we're reinventing history, but the, the freeways basically followed traditional routes of transportation. And, uh, and part of that is that's where the term, the wrong side of the tracks comes from. And it went through neighborhoods where the railroad was there and there was one side of the tracks and the other side. And racism and white, uh, we were, it was all in hand in hand. We didn't, you know, we didn't parse it out uh, it was just, it was, it is, it is what it is. I'm not making excuses for it, but we don't have the hindsight. We do have the hindsight now. Uh, everything was for progress. Our, right. I, I have, I have pictures of downtown LA in 1972 and it's almost 30%, 40% parking lots. And that was progress. Bunker Hill went away. A lot of stuff went away because it was blight, quote, blighted and they didn't see a future in it. And in my lifetime, beautiful houses, beautiful buildings have been torn down, turned into parking lots. And now those parking lots have been disappearing because they're turning into buildings. I mean, it's, 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 it's a cyclic sort of thing. And I, I like the building that's going on. I like the gentrification, not gentrification's got such a bad word. But when I started working at Caltrans, nobody was in downtown past 5 p.m. And now it's, it's, a, it's a thriving neighborhood of, of people, uh, mm -hmm. and it's just that old cliche: nothing changes like change. Um, do you have any questions for each other? I would love to hear um, what you both want to know from the respective experts. I feel like any questions I had for Steve, I got answered for my book <laughs> through our multiple conversations. I. Uh, I've always wanted to do a book on what was there before, uh, before the freeways. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of silent movies and uh, uh, 
James uh, Silent Echoes, James Bengston, I think the name is. He tracks old movie locations and a very famous Buster Keaton movie uh, was shot in downtown LA on Aliso Street before the freeway was there. And that was, that got me interested in what was there before. Of course, in my lifetime, uh, I know it was there in my neighborhood. We had a beautiful park. The Bundy Theater was, was taken, you know, that I used to go to. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, I, I'm always interested in Cal, uh, Los Angeles history because it, it, it's always been so ephemeral. I mean, we, we, we treated history here as, 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 as something to get out of, to get away from. And uh, uh, I'm fascinated by what is here now and still is here and, and what's left and that we're rebuilding our infrastructure again. So my question is, uh, I mean, what got you, I think they asked that, but you, on a personal level, Paul, I mean, is it the history of LA? Is it just, what gets you excited uh, about the work you do? I mean. Yeah, freeways were something I was obsessed with as a young kid. Um, you know, you remember, I'm sure, and, and older listeners remember the Thomas Guides before GPS, uh, you would, you'd have to pull up the, this, um, packet of maps that was bound together, the Thomas guide, depending what part of the city you're in, you'd look up your grid. And I would study that even before I was driving, I became obsessed with it. I had this navigational obsession with getting around the city. And I was impressed by the efficiency of freeways. They were majestic, beautiful. I love the bridges, you know, the way little kids love dinosaurs. I love freeways. They were big and monolithic. And um, so that, that's where the obsession began as a kid. And then I realized that they helped tell the story of LA and that played into my role as an author later of trying to tell the narrative of Los Angeles in my books. It just, they, they dovetailed, they jibed in my head. Um, Hallie, I'm curious if you have a, a favorite freeway or at least favorite freeway in Los Angeles. <laughs> Oh my God, I love the two. I love the Glendale Freeway. I'm not, I could not tell you why. I just love it. Um, I never take the 405 uh, in part because it scares me a little bit. Um, so I guess that would be my least favorite, but I should have prepared. No, but what you just said is probably the majority of people's people who know freeways. Some people may not get to a certain part of the city and like, I don't know. But yeah, if you know LA, the two often rises at the top for people. There's a whole love letter to the two online. This uh, blogger who wrote this amazing thing. I quote her in my book, actually. Um, and then, yeah, the 405 is the one that is... Uh, as that's one reason I read the introduction to that chapter because it is the most loathed freeway for various reasons. And uh, it is, um, it's so symbolic of LA in general, just in terms of our extremities. And it seems to encapsulate that. And it is the busiest freeway in the world. So there is that. <laughs> it's and, not in your imagination. And to, and to my father, the 405 was a godsend. Oh, and it was when it first opened. And it still is at two in the morning. Well, <laughs> there's no cars. Let, if, if we get, I would, we had relatives in, in the valley. And that 
every time we visited him, we had to got stuck in that damn Sepulveda tunnel, that two lane tunnel, that bottleneck. My Which dad was very was, deadly at the time before yeah. the freeway. And it was known the, as Blood Alley. And Dead Man's Curve were mm -hmm. uh, on the other side where Mel Blanc uh, was. That was part of my uh, my history. Mel Blanc was a member of our, our temple in Santa Monica, and we were told that Bugs Bunny had died. I mean, as an eight year old, the, so that was a Sepulveda was horrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had to live through it. And so we watched them uh, move this earth. My dad kept saying, look at all that earth moving. Look at what they're doing. It's going to be the amazing. Big yeah. The big cut. So, I mean, again, uh, I grew up when freeways were, were the best thing. They, uh, I mean, you know, they talk about the demise of the red cars by the uh, conglomerates, but really the, 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 the thing with the red cars in California is the red cars were a, a part of the boom, the real estate boom. They were built to, to build out LA. And once they accomplished that in the twenties, they started to deteriorate. Uh, my, my dad loved them and he missed them and he talked about them all the time. And in my research, uh, casual research, uh, I realized that the, that transportation system was being overshadowed by the automobile from the 20s. They started shutting down lines way before uh, the, the myth of, the, of Goodyear and, and GM coming in and killing them, which they did. But uh, my, my, if I could go back in history, we, the Coenga Pass had the PE line. PE line was there since the 1800s. And then we built the, uh, the Coenga uh, Parkway which also got diminished by the Arroyo Seco because that opened the same time, the Coenga Pass, uh, that beautiful architecture with the, 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 uh, the, the uh, bridges and stuff, that opened in 1940 also. And we had the PE going down the center, but the PE begged to be included in new freeway plans. And in my mind, and I don't want to get stuck here, the, the state responded, no, you're, you're private, we're public, there will never be a combination. And now we have nothing but private public uh, uh, works together. And I wish we could have saved what was there and because we put a, we put a line down the, uh, the 105. I mean, it was a good idea. I just wish we had, had done it much earlier because they work well in, in tandem. Um, but I also lived through the 70s and the gas crisis. And, and I remember a uh, thing with, uh, in, in those same years that there was a posters of all these big freeway ramps and they were populated by bicyclists at the day that the car was over. So it, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but it's been a hell of a, it's been a hell of a ride. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for sharing your work with us, Paul and Steve. Thank you for being here as well. Um, for you listeners out there, today's guests once again were Paul Haddad and Steve Dvorkin, and they were discussing Freewaytopia and Freeways. Um, and you can order your copy at skylightbooks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. 
You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.